Hi, everybody. Very warm welcome. So good to be with you. My name is Joel, if you're new here at Emmanuel. Every Sunday we have teaching from the Bible and we are starting a new series of messages for the spring term today. We're going to the Gospel of Matthew, which we've been in quite a lot at Emmanuel these last few years, but we're going to uh, go beyond. We, we haven't got beyond chapter 16. And so we're launching into chapter 17. And the plan is that by Easter we will have got through the story of Matthew's gospel. We'll have to sort of take out sections of it uh, because there's so much of it, but we will take episodes, stories, moments from the life, the activity, the ministry of Jesus and learn from them and apply them to our lives. That's what we're doing. It's called Hope is Here and it's the series we're doing this spring term. Before I talk about that though, I wanted to mention Clear Vision. Uh, this is the conference that you hopefully have heard of taking place very soon, the 3rd to the 5th of Feb. That's the first weekend of February. It's very late to book in, but there is the opportunity to do so, and we urge you to. If you belong to the kind of late teens, 20s, and even into the 30s uh, age bracket, we urge you to make this a priority. We're doing it uh, just north of London and we're gathering in a, in a residential place with space and pleasant facilities and food and just opportunity to be together, to fellowship, to connect, to build friendships, to be in the presence of God together, to hear from him, to enjoy his fellowship with us and to seek his face and see what he will say. For some of you, this will be one of the most important weekends of your life. I have found that these gatherings, which we've done kind of sporadically over the years, uh, we have had extraordinary just stories that have gone on for years in terms of people saying, I was at Clear Vision, my life will never be the same. There's something about gathering at this stage of your life with like-minded people who are getting to know Jesus, taking him seriously, wanting that their lives should count and make a difference and achieve something. It is an extraordinarily uh, combustible uh, environment. All kinds of things can happen and have happened. And for us as a church, we've gone on a, a journey, an adventure, uh, which has been inspiring, uh, challenging, difficult, but fruitful, fulfilling, joyful, as we've been able to see this church continue to grow despite the challenges of building a, a church on, on Jesus and his word in this city of Brighton, starting new congregations in different parts of the city and planting churches in other cities uh, in Europe and beyond. We have had an amazing adventure and we've been able to do so much together, serving the disadvantaged in our city, helping believers to shine brightly in this city, in their workplaces, in their different communities and environments across the city, equipping them to be fruitful as representatives of Jesus and his kingdom and building families, husbands and wives, marrying, raising children to know Jesus, to, to follow him, to serve him, and to raise their own families in the same way. Our vision is to create communities built on Christ that, that bring life and joy and help people find their way back to God in these different cities, including Brighton and Hove and Shoreham and beyond. What we're doing when we gather with hundreds of younger people is raising up a generation of Changes, people who want to have influence, people who can, with God's help, have tremendous influence with, with, by his uh, work in their lives. And we've just known that at Clear Vision, tremendous things have happened 
I urge you, book in. There's still time to do it. Don't wait for others to do it. Don't be thinking, well, I, I, wonder, if, I wonder if she's booked in. Maybe I wonder if she does. Assume she will. And maybe she will because you do. Who knows? Just take the first step and book yourself in and see that others follow your example. Uh, we've got brilliant people coming, dear friends of ours like uh, uh, Stu and Livy Gibbs from London. Dave Schnitter is coming from Berlin. The, the, the guy that leads the church that we planted, uh, Mosaic Church, just amazing. You love him. Uh, just, just, just funny and uh, exciting to be around and leading an amazing church of many hundreds in that fantastic city. It will do you good to be around guys like him and others who will serve you so well. Join us. Make it a priority. Get your phone out now. I'm not looking. Start booking yourself in and do that instead of listening to what I have to say, if you like. Just, just, just be there. Okay, Matthew chapter 17 and the first nine verses, and then we will pray. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Father, we ask you today, Open our eyes to see the glory of your son, Jesus. We ask you to send your spirit so that our lives will be transformed by what we see of him today in this place. Amen. We, we will in different ways ask the question, why is God so quiet? It's a struggle that we have. Why does God not speak? Um, sometimes it's a struggle that, that's expressed in People who are searching for God, people who may be skeptical. Well, if, if God's there, why does he not even speak to me? Why, why doesn't God speak? If it, why is he silent? Some people say it more out of pain, suffering, anguish, because going through a trial is made worse when it seems that the one who is supposed to care for us has gone silent on us. In, in the Bible, what you might find surprising is that this, this question is acknowledged very sympathetically. The Bible is full of examples, full of quite remarkable examples of, of people who have struggled with this deep, profound question. God, why will you not speak to me? Please, your silence is killing me. And sometimes it's, it's the most wonderful, devoted, humble. Uh, people like Job in the Old Testament. Some of the Psalms are written in the same kind of tone. Why won't you speak? Why are you silent now? And then there's other people like Pontius Pilate, who you may know. He was the, the, the governor of Judea when Jesus was uh, put to uh, execution in Jerusalem. He, he was the one that handed him over to be crucified. But he interviewed him beforehand. And 
got exasperated saying to him, why don't you speak to me? Why don't you answer me? Uh, he was longing for an answer. And Pilate, a man of power, was used to people answering him. He had the power to have people crucified. People answer you when you can do that. But Jesus didn't seem to play ball. He, was just, he just wasn't answering the questions. As far as Pilate was concerned, he was just being too quiet. But interestingly, one of the things that Jesus did say to Pilate was, those that are of the truth, listen to my voice. The people that are of the truth, that belong to the truth, listen to my voice. At least by, by one meaning, at least part of what Jesus is saying there is, Pilate, I, I, am, I am always speaking. I, I am speaking very clearly. The issue may not be to do with me speaking. It may be your, your listening that's the issue. You, your heart is not inclined to listen. You are not of the truth. You are not one of those who, who belongs to the truth. You don't want to hear really what, what I have to say. Your heart is not inclined to listen. You're rather more, you, what you want is answers, but you, you're kind of, you're, you're using power to get what you want. You're not of the truth. Je Jesus was clearly putting his finger on something because Pilate's reaction when he says that is quite famous. He just says, what is truth? That's his response. And he, that's, the, that's the end of the conversation. What is truth? Because he, it's true. He, he, he didn't care about that. As far as that was truth, that's, a, that's just you and your strange religious or Jewish, mystical, whatever you are, holy man. I'm not interested. I'm interested in answers that I need. The question often isn't so much is God speaking, it's are we listening? Is our heart inclined? Are we, are we able to hear him? That, that, that may be something you need to know today. Have you been listening? Is your heart inclined to listen to his voice? This is a story that we're looking at today of God's powerful, clear speech. The Bible is able to say on the one hand, yes, it's, it's a painful part of the, the fallen human condition that we feel his silence. We feel it sometimes with excruciating pain. But it's also true, the Bible is able to hold both things in tension. God speaks clearly and God has spoken and God continues to speak. We could unpack that for hours, but there's no doubt about it. God is very willing, happy, eager to speak. He wants to speak to you even today. That's why you're watching this. That's why you're hearing my voice. Because even through feeble men like me, God has chosen to speak. When the message of Jesus is proclaimed, it is nothing less than the voice of the living God coming to us. And that means to you now. God, oh yeah, he speaks. He speaks at this very moment. But the way he speaks and what he speaks it may in all kinds of ways be unwelcome. We, we may have hearts uninclined to hear. Even in this story, which is so magnificent, we as 21st century people will, will find reason for offence because the, the claim is so extraordinary. Jesus, this, ordinary, this, this carpenter from Galilee, is, is climbing up a high mountain with his three disciples. I guess his closest friends, you could say, Peter, James and John. And his, his face brighter than the sun. His, his garments 
are radiant with glory coming from him. He, he becomes this, this radiant one before their eyes. And then beside him, Moses and Elijah, representatives of this, this, this drama that this book has been telling from, from beginning to end. Moses, the giver of the law the writer of the first five books of the Bible. I Elijah, the, the kind of archetypal prophet, the, the, the law and the prophets, shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, except not quite shoulder to shoulder. It's more that they're, they're seeing him as the preeminent one. Jesus stands amidst the story of Israel. So this, is, this is all in keeping, this very strange event, which does sound peculiar. So that's a bit of a one-off. And it could, we could sort of see it like that, just kind of a weird kind of snapshot moment in, you know, that these disciples went up the mountain and they saw, oh, suddenly Jesus has he's gone all shiny. And, uh, you know, it's uh, Moses, oh, this is Elijah. Whoa, wow, and there's a dragon over there. And Mary Poppins, you know, it's like, it, they, it's not because they took mushrooms. And, and it's, it's, this is a story that's totally in keeping. It's in the grain of the whole story. Well, that's the very point of it. That's the very point of this, this story. I want to put before you a visual image that sort of summarizes the story of the Bible, which is that God, through history, has been working a plan, which he began in, in ancient, ancient times with, a, with, a, with one family, which became many tribes, that became one nation. And that nation brought forth the Messiah, their king, Jesus, who is destined to rule and reign globally, cosmically, forever and ever. That's kind of what's happening on the Mount of Transfiguration because you've got Moses and Elijah, they're both brought together. Their story, the story they've been weaving and telling and involved with, Jesus comes into it, but he doesn't just come into it, he completes it. He's the fulfillment of it. He is all that Moses and the, the, the prophets pointed to. All that, all that went before, was about him. And that gets us to the staggering claim the Bible makes. Jesus is the revelation of the living God. Jesus is. This is exciting. I love, this is, I love preaching this. Jesus is, he is the revelation of the real God, okay? Not the gods we make up. Not the gods of our, our kind of design, the real living one. He has a son and he's, he's, he, he communicates to us through this son, this, this perfect radiance of himself. This, this is how I, I show you who I am through my son. See him, listen to him. This is the way to know me, which is beautiful, wonderful. It's all encompassing. It means that everything else that goes on before and after, even after, even well into the future, the fact even that Jesus' face shines, his garments are radiant, that communicates. It's about glory. It's about his role as, as great prophet, priest and king and judge. He will rule. He will, his face, we will see his shining face one day. And, and the Bible talks about the multitudes being horrified, terrified by the prospect because it's real. This is majesty and glory beyond our imagination. God's son who reigns now will be seen to reign one day. Right now we don't see him as we will see him, but everybody will. And this is where history is going. This is the point of it all. 
And, and it, it means that every other claim of truth still ultimately, at best, points to him, at best. Which is offensive to say. I understand that's a strange thing for us because what you and I are used to, we Britonians and Shuramites, we're used to that the oxygen that we breathe, that the water we drink of our culture, which wants to communicate rather that there isn't a supreme revelation of God. No, no, no. How can there be one supreme revelation? No, no, that's, that's not helpful. That might even be, you know, that, that can lead to conflict. And it's better rather to say that surely all, all gods, all paths lead to the same God. That's the thing. Or, or, or all paths lead to the same whatever it is at the top of the mountain. You know, imagining a mountain which, with multiple paths and each one finds its way to the top. And, and, and so it is spiritually. We are on different journeys, but we're all finding ourselves at the same place because to say otherwise is surely arrogance. For you to say yours is the only way to the top of the mountain, well, that means you're very arrogant and, and dangerous, quite possibly. And so really we should all, surely we should agree that there isn't one way. They're all ultimately the same and going to the same place at least. And that sounds surely far less arrogant. That sounds quite sort of, you know, conciliatory and, and kind and, and very civilized and tolerant. Except for the fact, if you stop and think about it, that if you th think you can say that, if you are sure, if you say, well, no, obviously, all the paths lead up the same mountain. The only way you can know that is if you yourself are at the top of the mountain or perhaps a few yards above it in a helicopter. You know, you, the only way you can be sure, the only way you can be so confident that everyone else is being arrogant is if you're pretty arrogant yourself. If you've got some kind of revelation, that means all their thousands of years of searching and seeking and feeling their way to the divine is all actually a bit silly because, well, they're all the same. They're all the same. We know this because we're 21st century Westerners. Now, frankly, this, this kind of helicopter idea is really held by a kind of small recent minority in kind of very Western, very white history. It's, it's actually a little bit presumptuous and arrogant to say it in itself because how can we know? How can we be so sure? Surely what we need is for the living God himself to, to authorize his revelation, to say, for God to tell us, for God to speak and say, here, here, look, here, this, this is the way. Here's my son. Here's my revelation. Here's how to find me. And the claim of this story is that that is precisely what he did. He did that very thing. He said, he, he, he spoke. <laughs> And he told, and he gave it to eyewitnesses, these dear men, Peter, James, and John, who had this privilege and shared it so that the world, this story that's gone, this book that's gone global, literally, this, this story, this message that, has, that is around the world now, the Lord has spoken through his son. He's explained everything. He summed it all up, all that he said, summarized and superseded and and. and Brought to its climax in Jesus. If you want to know God, it's Christ you must know. He is the revelation of God. And I, I want you to know him. I want you to understand him. But I want us to do that 
practically. And for all of us today, if you're a new Christian or you've uh, been a Christian for, for decades, or if you're searching and finding, let's talk about how this works. So I want to spend the last chunk of this time looking at this, this instruction that comes from heaven. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. That's the, it's as simple as that. That's the instruction. Listen to him. Do you listen to Jesus? It's a challenge for us. It's not a, a simple thing for, for us to listen. It requires things of us, if we're honest. It, it, it requires adjustment. If you intend to listen, unlike Pontius Pilate, who demanded answers, why won't you speak to me? But if in your heart you're saying, oh, I want to know, I want you to, I want you to, I, I want to listen to you. I want to learn what it means to be of the truth, to belong to the truth. Jesus, you are the truth. What is truth? It's a big and important question. Jesus said, I am the truth. Learn his way. Listen to him. What does it mean? What does it look like? Well, I think it's challenging for, for three quick reasons. First of all, it's difficult for you and I to listen because there are so many voices. I guess I've alluded to that already. There are so many alternatives, so many distractions, I guess, the point I'm making. It is hard to listen to Jesus in a world of so many distractions. I guess any time in history will be uh, a time of distraction, perhaps, but maybe 21st century digital age, we've kind of gone off the charts, haven't we, in terms of the number and the force of the distracting voices we're exposed to. And how challenging it is, therefore, for us to truly get close enough to listen. Because it's so, it's, it's such a range, such a cacophony of, of, of intent voices that are, are after our attention, that want our listening, to the point where we have to make a decision. You can't really listen to somebody without not listening, without unlistening. You have to choose to. You can't listen without choosing not to listen to other voices. I, it's very practical. I mean, an obvious example would just be any crowded environment, like parties, which I, I, <clears throat> I don't think I'm the only person that finds parties difficult, but only for, not, maybe for a few reasons, but certainly for this reason, I find it so hard to not be distracted by every conversation. If I'm trying to talk to somebody, and I apologize if I've done this to you, I'm sorry. This may have happened to some people in this church where you've been talking to me in a crowded room. And because I'm basically a, I don't know what word to use for my ridiculous attention span, I, I will be struggling with all of my might to stay focused. And I have to literally sometimes put my fingers in my ears or one of them <laughs> to, to keep listening because there are, there are so many distractions. I have to stop listening. You do as well, though, in your less weird way, have to Put voices aside. Choose sometimes. I won't hear that. I won't listen to that. I'm not going to go uh, that way. I'm not going to go on that website. I'm not going to listen to that podcast anymore. I'm not going to receive that advice. I'm not going to spend so much time with that person. That sounds a bit narrow, limiting, intolerant. Well, no, it's because you want to listen. I want to listen. I want to learn what it means to listen. And anybody, it's just common sense. Now. You, to, to listen, you have to unlisten. And, and it's craziness, it's foolishness to, to live in the kind of absurd uh, self-deception that we can somehow just, everybody's voice counts the same. It doesn't. We know it doesn't. Some voices count a lot higher than others to us. Some people we're eager to hear. We're 
eager to listen to. And, and God has given us the gift of a, of a, a dear son, a, 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 what the Bible would call him, the great teacher, the great prophet, God's voice to us, Jesus. Are you listening? Are you, are you intently listening to the point where you're blocking other things out of your life? That's the sure way to know that you're starting to take him seriously. Are you unlistening to things as a result of Jesus? Are there things that you're taking way, way less seriously than you used to because of Jesus? Are there bits of advice and ideas and even, sadly, sometimes people that you had to decide, I'm not hearing that, but at least for a while, because for a season at least, I need to be able to listen better by not listening to this one or this thing or this person. That comes, that happens, and the scriptures speak of that. The times when people have fallen into terrible, terrible mistakes in Scripture, in the Bible, is when they listened too much to the wrong people. I'm not talking about uh, uh, not hearing all the data. I'm not talking about listening to different groups. And Sure, we need to make judgments sometimes between different voices because we can be hear biased accounts. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you know you've heard the voice of Jesus, you know very well what Jesus has to say, you know. It's clear as a bell that the culture is saying something else. What do we do then? We have to say, well, I'm afraid the culture's wrong there. I could just take it on and try and fix it so that I can have, yeah, Jesus' word. I can believe what the Bible says and believe the opposite. That the culture says, I believe both because, yeah, I've got a kind of no brain. <laughs> that doesn't work. Jesus doesn't want an army of airheads, all right? He wants people who've made up their mind, who've got some backbone intellectually and can say, no, that, that, that can't be true because this is true. I know Jesus is faithful. I'm going to stick with his word. So unlistening is part of discipleship. But it's not the only thing that makes listening challenging for us. Let me just move on. Uh, <laughs> we find it hard to listen because we want to talk, right? We want to be talking. We, we, we might be the kind of person. Not everyone's the same. Some of us are very quiet instinctively. But a lot of us, we talk very, very freely and very, very much. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a temptation. It can be a reason that we don't listen. Some of you, you talk too much. You just do. You just talk way too much. Think about it. Is it possible that you do? In some situations, I know I talk too much. In some, like when I'm preaching. No, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> there are situations where I think, I, I just don't, I just didn't need to be involved in that conversation. Sometimes you might be surprised, but that's, that's the sort of thing we might want to ask ourselves occasionally. Just the addiction to having the attention, to speaking, to speaking whatever comes through our mind. It's not necessarily a good thing. The scripture has a lot to say about it. You should read the book of Proverbs. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's got a lot to say about this. Now, I would say that God's arrival, even in this story, is quite interesting. Peter, in this story, is quite vocal for a change. If you know the story of Peter, you know that that's fairly characteristic. You know, Moses and Elijah have shown up next to Jesus and Peter's excited. And you know when Peter's excited because he has something to say. Master, it's good that we're here. Shall I put tents up? A tent for Elijah, a tent for Moses, and a tent for you. He's kind of coming up with his ideas. And It's interesting that when the glory cloud arrives and the voice comes from heaven, it's, it's literally, Matthew says, while Peter was still speaking. <laughs> he was still speaking. That happens a lot in the Bible. It's while somebody is still speaking, God shows up 
And it's almost a bit embarrassing because it's like God saying, let's just, can we just, just, let's pretend you didn't say that, shall we? And just kind of, it happens in Job's story that God just shows up at the end and fairly ignores the sort of 30 chapters of awful advice that he's been getting from his friends who've just been talking and talking and talking and talking for chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. And Job's just having to listen to, oh, it's all this advice. And then God shows up. Oh, God shows up at the end of Job's agonizing story. And he ignores the advisors. It's like they don't even exist at that point. It's a little humbling, but that's how it often is when God shows up. Many of my and your concerns are trivialized in the presence of God. Have you ever found that? When God really shows up, like he does here, the cloud, the, the voice from heaven. It's like all of our little, little trivial things, maybe our ambitions, maybe our opinions. Any opinionated people out there? Maybe our, our preferences, maybe our hurts, our bitterness, maybe even our past, our shame, our guilt, the things that we're carrying with us. And we kind of want to present them and we want to make those the subject of the conversation. We want to direct the, the, the team towards a certain set of tasks. We, we, we know what to do. Maybe we even dress it up spiritually. I, when I said some of you speak too much, I include that. People who talk spiritually too much. That's one of the clever contracts that uh, uh, the enemy puts on us. That we, we, we think because we're talking spiritually that it's valid. No, no, that's sometimes the worst kind of overspeech. When it's religious overspeech. When it's dressed up in spiritual terms. When it's full of biblical language. But it's just too much, too much. The Bible has... Some important things to say I, I, about this, as well as important things to say. Let me just read you from verse five of Ecclesiastes, chapter five of Ecclesiastes. These beautiful, I, I, these are scary words, but listen. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven. And you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. The way that we will get to learn to listen to the voice of Jesus will be at least partly by a little less talking. Maybe that's something for all of us to consider. Let me move on because of time. I want to talk finally about the, the final reason we struggle to listen. And that is... He can seem so quiet, can't he? He can seem so silent, as we've been saying, even from the start of this message. I mean, these guys are on the Mount of Transfiguration. They don't stay there, as you know. They have to come down the mountain and they lose the, the, presumably some of the, the extraordinary feeling that they have and the hype diminishes, just like you and I do. We go through phases of life where our adrenaline is high, our spiritual adrenaline peaks. And, and when we don't understand it, when it goes down, it's like, what the heck has happened? I was inspired just two or three weeks ago. Maybe you got baptized recently and you were inspired about it. And then the next few weeks or months were just bitterly painful because it, for one thing, it felt like God just went quiet on you. And you think, what, what is that about? God can seem strangely, painfully quiet. And it's strange to me that even on the mountain, Peter even here is missing the voice of Jesus. He, he's, he's, he needs to have it said in high voltage, high decibels. 
Because he is, it seems to me, too excited, in his case, about the wrong thing. He, when Elijah and Moses show up, that's when he's like, well, can we get tents ready? Can we, can we start? It, it kind of stimulates his excitement. Whereas Jesus is the one when the, the cloud disappears, it, it's, it's all been about him. The voice from heaven, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You've heard Moses. You've heard the prophets. Listen to Jesus. And he was the only one remaining. They saw no one but Jesus only. That's really how we need to live. And it's easy not to. Why? I think partly because of an addiction to novelty. I think Peter was, like you and I, excited by the new. He's been walking around with Jesus by now for maybe three years. He's been doing life. He's been, he's been uh, uh, traveling. They've been sharing rooms. They've been sharing meals. They've been going through tough conversations. I, they, they, are, they know each other. It's, there's been a relationship. There's been a bond. And it's been, I'm sure, very positive for Peter, but getting a bit familiar now, maybe. He's done so much life with Jesus, he's forgotten who Jesus is. He's forgotten what he has in Jesus. So he's distracted by these kind of ancient biblical avengers. <laughs> Elijah, Moses, <laughs> the guy, the real guy just showing up. No, 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 the father said, I'll show you who the real guy is, my beloved son, Peter. Have you not seen? Have you forgotten who he is? And you can, you can be around Jesus. Forget who you're around. You really tragically can. I have. I think I kind of do daily. When you consider who he is, stop and think. When heaven says, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Doesn't that say everything we need to know? That the eternal, everlasting, unchanging, unmeasurable God, whose capacity for joy and satisfaction is hard for us to begin to understand. We can't understand. What does it take to make God happy? <laughs> what, what, kind of, what, what kind of treasure, wealth, entertainment, what, what kind of beauty? What would it take to make the Father wonder? What would it take for the Father to say, I'm so well pleased with this one? Jesus must be amazing. <laughs> Jesus pleases the Father. So for us to sort of think, well, I, I, I know Jesus. I've been a Christian for three years now. I think I get Jesus. You could not be more misguided and deluded. Snap out of your foolishness. I'm serious. You're being stupid if you think like that. You've, you have no idea. Yeah, I, I got Jesus, I know Jesus, but I just, I think for this stage of my life, I need something else. I need, some, I need to go beyond. Give me a break. You don't, you, don't, you've no, you don't understand. This is the one who pleases the Father's heart. Do you know who you've come to? This is why the scriptures say, it, it, we are urged to struggle through challenges and troubles. In this book, it's very honest about the difficulties of life. You think, well, I'm going through a tough time. I, I, I know Jesus, but I'm going through real difficulty. I get it. I understand. But so does this book. Do you know that this book gets that? You've got books like the Letter to the Hebrews written to Christians, persecuted Christians who had all their goods nicked and had family members and friends in prison. And what does the writer to the Hebrews say? He spends the first chapter 
extolling the wonder of Jesus, describing the glory of Jesus, telling the story again of Jesus, who Jesus is, what he's done, how incomparably great he is. No one can come close. No one will come close because only he could do what he's done for us and how he radiates the glory of the Father and how he is the only one that could set us free from the bondage of sin and guilt and shame and fear of death. The one who's restoring all things and newly creating all things and will one day not just judge the heavens and the earth, but make a whole new one. Jesus. And then he starts chapter 2, verse 1 with, So we must pay far more attention to what we have heard. That's a great verse. <laughs> that could contend for my favorite verse. That's the antidote that he has to struggling, suffering, persecuted Christians, heartbroken Christians. What's the answer? Well, there's lots of little answers, but the big answer, pay more attention to what you already know. Pay more attention to him. Listen to him. Do you know him? Yeah, I know him. No, you don't. Not if you answer like that, you don't. You don't know the first thing about him. You could have been walking like Peter them for three years. Do you know him? Are you listening to him? What does that mean? It means, friends, taking this book seriously for a start. That's what the writer says. That's what Peter himself said towards the end of his life in his own letter. He describes this very moment. And I know I'm going over time, but I don't care because this is so important. 2 Peter chapter 1, he says this, we have something more sure. He's describing this moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. This, what it happens was a young man, later, older man, wiser man. He has this to say, we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Do you hear that? He said, he's described, just earlier in the chapter, he talked about this very event. He describes it in detail. Then he says, but we have something more sure to which you would do well to pay attention. Like, you, you've got the scriptures, my dear friends. I know it's hard. I know it's a difficult book to get into. I know that. And the Bible understands that. It, Looking at a mirror is the way it talks about it, but a dim mirror. Ancient mirrors were dull. And so you had to look carefully. But you keep looking, you'll catch glimpses. You'll catch the real glimpses of the real face shining in this story that you will one day see in all its radiance. One day we will see him as he is. And it says, we shall be like him. <laughs> the glory that we will share ultimately, we'll see it. So what do we do now? Just wait, wait around, hope for moments, hope for just, just you know, tough, get through life and hope for the best. No, no, no. You pursue, you behold, you look at the gospel, you look at the scripture, look at the good news of Christ in this book. Let God speak to you. Let the face of Christ be shown you through what this book declares. Live in the word of God. Drink it in. Take time aside to be in. Listen to sermons. Yes, I'm saying it. Listen. Listen to people who are faithful with the Bible and help. listen as they help you to see and get to know this Jesus, this glorious one who we desperately need. I tell you, this, 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 this mountain they were on is understood as we understand him. It, it's... it's uh, it's fascinating that 20, chapter 17, you've got Matthew describing a mountain Jesus was on. Think about the mountain he was on in chapter 27, 10 chapters later. 
you see the, the, the story that this is weaving of a man who, who came to us to reveal the goodness, the love, the joy, the grace of his father. It's a glorious image. These men, terrified, on their faces, Jesus comes over. Did you read that? Touches them. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's why he came amongst us. That's why he took on flesh, to, to be able to touch him, to be able to have him in our lives, really, listening, knowing, not just, oh, I spoke once thousands of years ago. No, he does come alongside us. He does reach out and touch us. He does. He's going to do that today in your meeting. He's going to do that for some of you when they pray for you at the end of the service because he's that real. He's that alive. He's come to meet us and touch us in our need. We've gone over time. I'm going to pray. Father, we do thank you for this beautiful son that you've given us. I pray for revelation of who he is to thrill our hearts and change us completely. In his name, amen.